I love the people contacts. I love the talking about it. I love understanding customers. I like making people smile. My job when I'm when I'm on the when I'm on the till taking orders and I might take five or six hundred orders of a morning. My job is to give everyone that ex- that that little special experience and talk more if the customer wants me to and talk very little if you've got an older lady that really doesn't want to talk but she just wants to see the smile and give her the smile make her feel good this is the deep in the weeds podcast i'm anthony huckstep what drives someone to start up their own business especially when it comes to hospitality and food service their own cafe, for instance, where they become an important meeting place in the community, where the average spend is low, but the volume of customers is high. What impact has the last 18 months had on those hubs of the community? Anthony Yakono is the co-owner of Botonis in Balmain, Sydney. Anthony, how are you? G'day, Anthony. I'm good, thank you. How are you? Good. It's been a pretty crazy 18 months for so many in the industry. For a cafe like yours that's relying on such high volume and low average spend, what, what sort of impact has it had on you? Oh, mate, it, it's, been, it's been pretty tough. I think um, in general, COVID's had an impact on all of us, like on all the communities and um, basically pretty much, you know, a lot of the um, – Different stores, but it's retail, but especially hospitality. I think we've we've had a we've taken it um, pretty tough. Um, having said that, we're traditionally a takeaway business. Um, a lot of our business has always been takeaway, so we've continued to trade. And I think, if anything, uh, when COVID sort of first raised its head about eighteen months ago, we were really worried that we were going to be out of business. So what it did do is it it forced us to relook at our business and probably just re-engineer it a little bit. We've been around a long time, so we probably took for granted all the stuff we've been doing and and stuff that was just working. And we didn't have to change a lot over the years. We just had to fine-tune, whereas this really made us look and say, okay, we need to do things differently and better now. With so many uh, hospitality businesses forced into takeaway, did that put pressures on what you were offering even though you had a takeaway model set up? Yeah, it did. It did. It did because, you know, the the takeaway model changed in that we were doing takeaway for people, you know, on their way to work or, um, you know, meeting up with mums in the park or a take-home meal at such, whereas this sort of changed everything to a point where people were doing takeaway pretty much for everything, for all their meals, for their school children, for their homeschooling, for their lunches, dinners, so it made us. It really meant that we had to evolve and and expand the menu, and have an offering that was quite versatile and and covered a lot of the different sort of you know a lot of the healthier options and the vegan options and stuff that we've been doing for a while anyway. But again, just made us do it probably a little bit better and a little bit smarter. Do you have any examples of the sort of food and offering that you've been doing because of this compared to what you used to be doing? Yeah, look, I think um, there's a lot more at-home dining 
now. So, um, you know, whereas, you know, serving a piece or two of lasagna for a family, we're now doing trays of food for families. We're doing, um, we're doing antipasto boards and um, grazing boxes that people are actually taking home. And when they're not in full lockdown, um, they can have a couple of people over and actually will be there, will be their chef that night, even though we're not there. Uh, people come to us with what their requirements are and say, look, we'd really like a vegetarian pasta, we'd like a cooked salmon, we'd like a, you know, osobuko, and we'd like it in a certain way. And, you know, whereas previously we just would have said no to anything that didn't fit into our system. Now we look at ways of making sure that we can say yes not purely not only for the business but just because we're such an you know an integral part of the community and it's like a lot of people are struggling and this is their only mm. nice part of the week nice part of the you know saturday night or yeah or a family dinner well, when you think of Balmain, Batoni's is one of the things that comes to mind because it feels like it's been there forever and been a part of the community. How important has that connection with the community been for you during this time? Um, I, Anthony, I think it's critical. I think um, we've become the, you know, we've always been a bit of a hub. We've been there for 17 years, which is a long time. But I think what it's done is it's 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 for it's it's made us a bit more of a hub of the community and we're a place where people would come and leave messages or people would come and um you know pay get vouchers or stuff for for neighbors that were doing it tough um lots of different charity things have have started up which we're also involved in since covid hit and what it's made us do is just one it's made us appreciate what we have and two it's made us just work harder to make sure that we're giving back to the community because for 17 years mate they have supported us relentlessly um with all the different competitors that have opened up and new fancy things and cool you know cool kids on the block but we've still stayed resilient and 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 again we've taken on the role of making sure that we are part of the community message board and part of the community communication and somewhere where people can come and feel safe and, and okay for two minutes or five minutes or 15 minutes. But Tony was inspired by your Italian heritage. Well, tell us about for what food was like as a kid. Uh, very much inspired by our heritage, mate. Mum and Dad were uh, were absolutely our inspirations for 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 Batoni. Um, my dad Alfonso was a market gardener, and he pretty much he retired at an early age. He was a typical immigrant, you know, working in a factory. He retired at an early age, and after that, he basically just dedicated himself to the family and and creating beautiful produce that the family could have um, for for dinners and and for lunches and stuff. Mum is a, a southern a mum's from uh, Napoli and she's a, a proper southern Italian woman that that just absolutely loves cooking and loves cooking for people um, whether it be you know her immediate family or her extended family and she basically um, she, even though she was from Napoli she took on my dad was um, my dad's Sicilian and she took on more of a Sicilian sort of slant to her cooking wow. so everything was was simple everything Everything was four or five ingredients. Uh, pretty much everything had, you know, olive oil, sugo, um, basic stuff that they either they got from someone they knew or they made it themselves. And they basically made fresh, beautiful meals every day, um, whether it was legumes or whether it was cheap cuts of meat. 
um, chickens that they used to go to the farm to actually get live chickens, and mum would actually um, pull the chickens apart, literally. And she would use she would use every single part of the chicken. She would, you know, she would make a soup out of all the um, the insides, including the the chicken heads and the feet. And then she would make beautiful either soup or um, or grilled chicken with the chickens she had. You know, like we talked about, you know, back then things like also bulk and stuff were cheap cuts of meat. So everything they did was cost efficient uh, but tasted incredible. And I think it's not with most of this stuff, it's not until you get older that you realise how amazing the cooking is and how hard it is to replicate, even though it's uh, it seems so simple. And that was our inspiration when Albert and I were uh, looking at starting a business and doing Batoni. Everything we wanted to do was based on what our parents had shown us growing up. You originally started in a different field uh, before moving into hospitality and you were part of the dot-com dot startup. Tell us about that period of time and, and why you transitioned into cafes from that. Uh, I was I was from a very early age, from a very young age, I was in corporate sales business. So I was generally always in a, in a sort of a sales role. And then in the late 19, about 1998, um, I started up with a couple of partners and we started a – we basically bought so – we were one of the first companies to bring gift card technology to Australia. So back in the day – and it makes me feel like a very old man when I talk that way – but back in the day, they had they had gift vouchers, right? So you went to a store and you got a paper voucher and you then um, took that voucher into the store and then somehow they sort of – Right on the back of the voucher, how much you'd spent, and there was some sort of a feel. But we actually bought in the the gift card technology that integrated into the FPOS net into the FPOS networks through banking, and it was it pretty much revolutionised what happened in Australia. And we were probably the first to market with Westfield, um, so we launched their gift card technology in their um, shopping centres, and we were doing that for four or five, no, for about probably about four years and then the opportunity came to sell out of that business and basically we were I was sitting around sort of thinking about what to do next what next corporate role I was going to take and Albert was in corporate as well he was in a operations field in a operations management field and he just taken a redundancy so we were both unemployed at the same time both in our sort of early to mid 30s and this was always a dream it was always a dream for us to start up a cafe restaurant of some type but to be fair outside knowing good stuff we had no idea we had a few we had a few mates in the in the industry and all they did was tell us not to get into it because it because it was too hard there's no money in it you know you you work 7 days a week so i have to say we were very prepared for the expectation um even though of course when you're doing it it's it's much tougher uh, but we, we came up with a concept and we were both – I was living in Balmain and Albert was living in Annandale. And we thought if we can get a good site, um, we had this like deli cafe idea, which was the the original sort of Batoni concept. And we thought if we can get a good site, we'll try it. With the idea was always to expand it and do a little bit, you know, more than one store. And in 2004, we got pretty much the prime spot in Balmain, and that's how the Batoni journey started. You eventually grew to eight sites. What, what was it like having that rapid growth and multiple sites to, to look after? 
I mean, look, I have to say it was a bit of a whirlwind. I think success was good in the early days and it, we sh- it showed that the model could grow. And obviously we kept fine-tuning and, and we would we would sort of accommodate the brand and the offering to the areas that we were in. So we're in Mossman and Balmoral and Bondi and a lot of CBD stores. So not all of them were the same. And I think at the beginning we thought they would all be identical, but they weren't. But it was it was tough, mate. It was tough because people are tough. Um, finding the right people are tough. So when you're managing one or two or three stores, you can pretty much control it all. But what we found was after three stores, getting to seven, eight, it was difficult to find the right people to manage them, difficult for them to understand what our culture was about because um, that's what we're about, right? At the end of the day, we, we, we serve great food and coffee and, and, and dolce, but so do a lot of other places. So for us, it was always about our culture, and our culture was family, and it was about replicating those family values in store. So whether you had, you know, a 25-year-old Nepalese guy or a 32-year-old German girl, they understood what Batoni was about. And that was, it just got more difficult the more stores we got. And, and obviously the, the industry changed. Like the, the industry became just much tougher in general to make money in. Um, much more competition, uh, costs grew and blew out. Um, uh, our, our pricing wasn't keeping up with the, um, with what was happening CPI-wise and basically customers were expecting to pay a certain dollar value for coffee or a certain dollar value for panini when really they're probably worth a hell of a lot more if we cost them on a percentage basis. So that changed and I think that's what when we thought, you know what. And we're also we got out of corporate life because we didn't want corporate anymore and basically what we were doing was we were just basically starting up another corporate business where we had, you know, a couple hundred staff, um, lots of, um, lots of, you know, leasing and accounting issues and, and that sort of stuff. And we thought, you know, that was never the plan. The plan was to build something that we could sort of grow a little bit. So we thought it was a good time to basically sell most of them. One of them still runs under license, but in generally we, we don't have anything to do with any of the X stores, the old Batoni stores. What do you think has been the key to the success, the success of the the original in Balmain? I think it's 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 true and it's real. So it's I mentioned our values. Our values are about um, our values are family based. Our values are and our culture is about uh, making sure a customer gets treated really well. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter if it's a good looking girl or the old man they all get the same amount of love and attention. Um, we, When we started the business, we, we had this term internally, which was, it was the, um, the new face of fast food. And what we wanted to be was we wanted to be a place where people could come and get food quickly that was wholesome, homemade, and affordable. So you didn't have to go to – if you remember – 17, 20 years ago, to get a decent meal, you generally had to go to a very fancy restaurant. And we paid a lot of money back then to go to the level 41s because they were amazing experiences, right? But you couldn't get a good pasta unless you paid 40 bucks for it. 
it was really hard to get good quality also book or unless you paid a good amount of money. So we came up with a concept where we wanted things to be affordable. We wanted um, we wanted everyone to be able to afford what we did and we wanted them to walk away and when they took that pasta home or had it at the table or had the lasagna, we wanted them to think, to say, that's like my nonna made it. Oh, my God, that tastes like I, that time when I was in Italy and we were sitting at the – we were sitting in Rome – and that that little that little diner, and we wanted people to feel like they could afford it every day, and I think we we achieved that, and that's why I think we continue to do that because we we keep pushing ourselves, we we don't stop, we keep reinventing, we keep making sure that um, we stay current, we understand the trends. Again, if you remember back, you know, seventeen to twenty years ago, it was all about serving sizes. So it was who had the biggest focaccia, who had the biggest plate of <laughs> pasta. Do you remember those days? <laughs> and if if it wasn't huge, you were disappointed. Whereas now it's totally turned. Like if we have anything big on the menu, it generally won't sell. People, unless it's courses for a family meal, but you know things like you know Italian sliders and um, little small portions of things, small portions of breakfast stuff. That's what people are up for. Very flavoursome very tasty, but they don't want anything that's too big. 17 years is a long time to be a part of a community. Uh, well, have, do you have any stories of, of locals that have, you know, have been there from almost day dot? Mate, we've had, I can, I can honestly say we've probably had over two or 300 customers that have been coming pretty much from day one. They all say they were the first customer in our door, <laughs> right? Every, all those 300 will tell you that they were the first ones and if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be in business and all the funny stuff that comes with it. But I can say we've had the majority of them there. We've had famous actors come in and that come in, still come in regularly. We've had, you know, outlaw bikey gangs that come in regularly. And then when they come to Batoni, they're all exactly the same. They all come because they want that little piece of that Italian experience, that family thing where, you know, if the outlaw, you know, bikey gangs were there back in the day and, and my mum was there, they would absolutely, totally respect everything about her. And if they swore, they would apologise. And it was like they were almost scared of her. And I think, and it was, uh, and I think that's what, and that's, I think that's the, the, I think that's the the thing about it is we've always had that family connection with people. You know, my mum has been the nonna that a lot of the people in Balmain don't have because their nonna lives in Adelaide or in Canberra or in Melbourne or their nonna's passed away. Little kids have come and my mum's been their, their, their grandmother and I think we've always had that connection and you can't make that stuff up. You know, that's the thing. I think with 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 longevity and, and with age comes credibility and we're a bloody friendly place. I mean, you've been to our place and, you know, you've been before, I knew who you were and, you know, we, we you can't pretend to be friendly. You can pretend for a few weeks. You can pretend for a couple of months. but And that's what we do. We create an environment where people just really look forward. And it, 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 then you, you nullify coffee blends and barista coolness and, you know, um, chef hats. You nullify all that stuff because you're basically doing something that's so from the heart that you, people can't get it anywhere else. Even if there is another good competitor in the area or, or lots of good competitors like we have now, 
they come back to us ultimately, whether it's once a day or once a week, because they still need that little bit of love that we can give them, which is genuine. Has there been any um, real important moments over the last two decades or, or highlights that um, that you've loved over this um, period of time? Having this, oh mate, we, we've had we've had you know, famous American actors come in when they were filming um, and and basically sit anonymously for for weeks every second day where we just come in because we always had a rule that it doesn't matter how famous anyone is, you never give them any more attention than the person in front of them. So we've always had that. And, you know, we've had, you know, we've had Brian Brown come in regularly and, you know, ask us about if, you know, you know, if we've got any Osobuco on the menu today, <laughs> and then you know he'll he'll ring his wife and say they don't have the Osobuco, but they got the the Ganokis, You know, but we're gonna and it's it's brilliant. Like it's theatre. Like it's that sort of stuff. It's you know we've had we've had um, uh, we've had you know staff in tears because they're so hysterical about some famous person that's walked in that they can't even talk. And we're like, just go out the back, you know, you're not allowed to say anything to them. And, of course, if we get to know them well enough, we get their autograph for them. But I think it's it's that sort of stuff. It's, it's you made it's the, it's the old ladies who are in their 70s and 80s that come in and buy the sulgor that we sell because um, they can't make it anymore, but it's the closest thing they've had to their own it's it's compliments like that it's things like that it's you know in the last 17 years it's difficult because there's been so much good stuff that's happened to us we've had you know and it really worked we've won lots of different awards over the years and i think all that stuff beats all the awards that we've won because it's so real and it's so special and it's there's no bullshit to it and i think that's what that's why albert and i back up and work most days still at the store, even though we've got other business interests, we still love that part of it and we still enjoy that connection with the customers. What's it been like running at this business with your brother, Bert, over over this time? Has there been challenges being siblings? Oh, very much, mate. I think anyone that tells you that there's, there's no challenges um, – in a family business or in any business, right? There's there's lots of challenges. And I think one of the things we did quite well at the beginning of our business is we established boundaries and, and responsibilities. And coming from a corporate background, um, and, and my wife's a very senior um, marketing person, my sister's got a finance background, and their involvements in the business have always been um, with they've had specific functions to to play and um, and it's been it's been good on that side. I think mate, it's always been challenge. There's always challenges, and I think sometimes you know when business is really good, there's there's very few challenges because momentum just keeps you driven, and that little bickering sort of goes away. It's when business is tough that the challenges become bigger. And and we've definitely had those. And I think we've also, we've changed roles, right? Because we've had, you know, where we've had multiple stores where we've hardly ever been at a store and we're, you know, back in our store now and Albert's cooking every day. And the food's exceptional because basically he, he does it like my mum would do it and how he learned and that stuff. You, you, can't, you can't teach that love. You know what I mean? There's training and there's ways to educate your staff, but you can't teach that type of love. So I think that, you know, 
that's that's been good for us. Definitely challenging. There's times where you want to rip each other's heads off. You know, we've had a couple. We've had a couple of blues in the store. You know, not not too many, but we've had a couple of blues where we've you know we've told each other to fuck off. You know, <laughs> we've gone our own. We've gone our own ways and taken 15 minutes. And I don't think I've ever apologised, but I think Albert's apologised once or twice. But, <laughs> I, but I think I think you know, like it's it's like a normal business, right? Like any business you're in. It, the difference is in corporate life and because we come from corporate life, there's a there's a very structured way of how you tell someone you don't like them or you don't like whereas when it's a family and you're in a little business, you say it exactly how it is and that can be really that can that can hurt. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, in corporate life you can't say, mate, you're an arsehole. <laughs> Fucking I don't want to work with you ever again. Fuck off, you're out, sort of thing. You go through the right and say, mate, I'm not sure this is, you know, our relationship isn't progressing well. Whereas in your own business, you say it the way it is. and But it's also good because you can fix stuff quicker. And I think as long as you've got the right, the right end goal, and our end goal has always been to give that customer a really great experience when they come into Batoni. I harp on it, and it's not because I'm trying to preach. It's really what makes us different, I think, to a lot of the other places. And that's why we've been around for 17 years because um, it is a bloody long time. If someone had told me we were going to be in business for 17 years, 17 years ago, I would have told them they were mad. You mentioned that you have other business interests and I know you've done consulting to hospitality businesses. What's What's been some of the main issues with hospitality businesses that you've helped over the years? I think the biggest issue with hospo businesses is they don't quite understand what they're getting into and they have abs- they have very little business knowledge before they get into it. So they might be great chefs, awesome baristas, families that, you know, between them have lots of years experience, but they basically are entering into legal agreements via their leases where they actually don't understand what they're getting into. And a lot of the times they don't they can't afford good solicitors or they don't understand that they should get a good solicitor to review their lease. So they end up getting into stuff that's probably not the right deal for them. Um, they don't understand suppliers, what they should pay and how much they should pay. They don't understand what sort of staff they require, how to recruit the right staff, what's you know, what sort of a person they should employ, how do they fit in to their value systems. They don't understand what their value systems are yet. And I think for me what I do is I go – there's a couple of things that I do, but one of them is I go in at the beginning and I basically help them to negotiate their lease because I get it. I understand what a good lease is. I understand what, what fair rent is. I understand what op- good options are. I also help them with their menu planning. I help them with their staff recruiting. I help them ba- set up basic P&Ls on a regular basis so they can understand if they're actually making money and if they are, how much they're making. Um, I t- show them what to do with their money when they're, you know, if they've made five grand that month, not to spend it all because they're probably going to need some of that in the next couple of months to pay their bass or or whatever. So I think I, I, I put it in real terms for them. I'm not this – I'm someone who's done it. I've made lots of mistakes along the way, um, but I've also made some really good decisions along the way and I can help them with the good decisions. Australia's known for a very mature cafe culture. How do you, how do you see the cafe culture in Australia at the moment? 
Oh, mate, I, I think it's 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 overpopulated the cafe culture. I think I think it's it's amazing. Like we are, we're so lucky because we've got some of the best operators in the world in Australia. Um, we've got some of the best chefs cooking great meals at fair pricing. You know, some really good value propositions. Even pastries and cakes, you can see now how that's just gone crazy in regards to what sort of offering we have and how good it is. You know, you could be in France with some of the pastries that we, we're getting here now or you could be in Italy with some of the dolce that we get. But I, the problem we have is there's just way too much competition um, to sustain the population that we have. Like if you look at Balmain, it's a really good example. I think when we opened 17 years ago, there was maybe five or six cafes within, say, I don't know, an 800 metre to one kilometre span. I won't even go all the way up to Roselle. If you look at it now, there's probably 30. And what happens is every time a new cafe opens, you lose a little business, a little bit of business for a either a small period of time or forever. And that's why you have this constant revolving door of cafe owners because people get into it, they don't realise, they don't do the background stuff like I talked about earlier in regards to their leasing and their menu planning and understanding recruiting. And then they realise that they actually can't make money. So they're working 60, 70, 80 hours a week and they're not even putting a dollar in their pocket, never alone $500. So I think we've got to a point where unfortunately for us, we don't have any regulations in regards to opening cafes or restaurants. So anyone can do it. Any mug can do it. Anyone can get in and, and open one up. And what that means is you get a lot of average stuff. So we talked about the top end stuff and how great it was, you know, some of the pastries and dolce and meals, but then you get a lot of crap because people don't quite understand how it works. And what happens is they start losing money. They start cutting corners they start, they employ less staff, which means their service is worse, and it's just it ends up being a it's just a recipe for disaster. And I think that's how moving forward, our biggest challenge is managing um, all the uh, the cafe operators. And with lockdown and COVID, I'm really worried about what's going to happen when everyone is allowed to reopen. I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of people that can't reopen, and our our, our rents. You know, as a percentage of our turnover in in, in Australia, are horrendous, right? Or well, I speak mainly on Sydney's behalf. Like it's so high. Um, yeah, if you look at and our cost of our cost of wages is so high as a percentage. So unless you're really switched on and you have an operation that does quite a significant amount of turnover, it's very very hard to make money. Very hard, and that's our challenges. Like if you look at what goes on overseas in the UK, in the US, percentage of of uh, rent and uh, wages is is so much lower, and that's where your margins are, right? Whereas here, good restaurants are making five to ten percent. They're really good functioning restaurants. You think about that. There's an investment of a couple of million dollars in a, a lot of cases. So and on the bottom end, seven or eight hundred thousand dollars, and after a year of turnover, you might make five to ten percent profit. That's if you're really good. So the the payback on it is really difficult. So it's that's I think that's our challenge. Our challenge is making trying to get people to understand that there's not it's not as lucrative as it sounds, as it looks, and it's very difficult once you're in. And unless you've got some business experience, there's a good chance you may not make it.
you mentioned at the top of the show that you made some changes to adjust and adapt and evolve. What's, what's some of the positives that have come out of this for you and the business? I think, I think what it made me realise was uh, we've still got it in regards to making, doing new things, new menu items, coming up with new concepts for customers. Um, you know, we're doing things like care boxes now where, you know, corporate corporate companies are buying boxes from us, like basically like grazing boxes, to send to their customers who are doing it a bit tough. And we'll sell multiples of those, you know, in, in large quantities. Um, we're doing stuff like, like I said, we, we you know, it's a big part of the Italian menu is, is vegan stuff. We've just never called it that, right? Mm. Um, you know, it wasn't even a word until a few years ago. Right? <laughs> but, but, but what we've realized is our vegan stuff is actually really good. And we don't have to try to compete with uh, the fancy vegan guys. We just do our real raw stuff, our good pastas, our good soups. And we sell lots of them, you know. It's it's also made us, you know, it's made us look at the healthy side of our menu and understand that if people are going to eat with us every day, it's not a treat. So we can't fill them up on pastas and lasagnas every day. So we've got to have much lighter offerings that still have the same flavour but have the opportunity for people to eat from us every day if they like what it made us do is it made us realize that the model the batoni model still we can be tweaked every few months and it can stay fresh and alive and people our regulars who really is who we serve we don't really look for new customers our regulars can come in on a daily weekly basis and go oh this is new Oh, they never had that before. Oh, wow, that's that's nice new products. And we pretty much do that every week now. We've got new pastas, new salads, new soups, new risottos, new sliders, new muffins. Like everything we do, there's a element of new and fresh. Whereas once upon a time, you came up with a menu and you maybe changed it two times a year. You made a few changes to it. Your staples stayed the same. Whereas now we're pretty much changing stuff on a weekly basis. So that's been good for us, and it's kept it's kept us fresh. It's made us realise that we don't have to be the cool, funky guys with a with a full sleeve tats, and you know, you know, and you know, we can actually compete against the rest of them, and actually, we do a better job because we've got more experience in all the other stuff, and we screw it up, like we make mistakes, and sometimes our menu items don't work, and we everything we do, we want to sell thousands of them, but it doesn't always work that way. But sometimes we sell five. But those five people that bought it had a really good experience with it and it made them want to come back next day, next week. And I think that's we've also realised that we're, we're a high-volume sort of low-transaction place, as you mentioned, and for us, we don't have to sell a 1,000. We sell a lot of coffees every day. We don't have to sell as much coffee as we do of everything else. And I think that's what's made, us, made it... It's it's made it exciting again, I suppose, is the best way to put it. What do you love about what you do? Mate, I love this. I love the people contact. I love the talking about it. I love understanding customers. I like making people smile. My job when I'm when I'm on the when I'm on the till taking orders and I might take five or six hundred orders of a morning, my job is to give everyone that ex- that, that little special experience and talk more if the customer wants me to and talk very little if you've got an older lady that really doesn't want to talk but she just wants to see the smile and give her the smile make her feel good make them walk away and feel really good about the 
the little interaction we've had. We've got ninety year old we've got a ninety year old lady that comes every day and gets a skinny chai. She's she's amazing. Like she she's amazing. COVID, rain, just after her vax, she comes in and she comes in and she comes in not for the skinny chai, she comes in for the connection. The connection. And I love the connection. I love seeing staff members who've worked with me for 10, 12 years become great at what they do and open their own places. I like the young students that come in that work with me for a year or two and they will, they leave there being more confident because my, I, my niece works for me. She's worked for me for 10 years. Her name is Angie. She's an amazing young woman. When she started with us, she was probably, she was probably 15 and had zero confidence and probably weighed 60 kilos more than she does now. She lost, she lost weight. She, she found her voice. Um, she, it makes me tear up when I think about it. She found her passion. She loves what she does. Some of her friends say to her, you only work at Bertone, you only work at Cafe. She's like, what? It's like, I wouldn't want to work anywhere else. Like it's, it's the best place I can think of. And she genuinely believes that. And now she's, she's a manager of our store and she takes control. Like she's, if you met her today and I tell you this stuff, you would look at me and go, come on, mate. You know, this is a good story for this podcast, but it's a true story, mate. She's a, she's an amazing young woman. And, but that's what, that's what makes it worthwhile. And I've seen that with some of our customers. I've seen them come in and be shy, embarrassed. I've seen them come in and, and be miserable. But I feel like once they know us for a while, one, we become their safe place. And, and two, we become, uh, we become a mate. With it. And, and it's not just me. I've got like a team that works in the afternoon. I generally don't work in the afternoon. I've got a team that works in the afternoon that have the same relationships with their afternoon customers. And that's what we want from our staff. We just want them to, to care. We want them, you know, we all go through tough times, you know, as, as at work and stuff. But in general, we want people to have a really good experience. And that's what I love. I love our connections, whether it be with our staff. I've got suppliers, mate. We don't change supplier. Like unless unless they go broke, unless something happens where, you know, they become different people, we just don't change. We don't change for price. We don't change, of course, if the the quality is wrong. So I've I've had, I've seen delivery drivers come to our place every week for seventeen years. We know them better than like their partners know them half the time. They're part of our business. You know what I mean? Like we just don't, that's what we do. We've had the same packaging supplier. We've had the same milk supplier, the same bread suppliers. <laughs> Excuse me. We've pretty much had the same supply since we started because one is that's part of the deal. Two is we've had some tough times along the way and they've really looked after us. You know, we've had times where we've had multiple stores and not everything was going well and maybe we didn't pay for two or three months and they never, ever put pressure on us. And that's because of our connection. That's because they knew that we wouldn't knowingly let them down. We wouldn't not pay if we could. Um, and, you know, it's the same with our customers. I think our customers, is some of them come in twice, three times a day. There's so much connection and loyalty there. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter how good the coffee shop next door is or how cheap the lasagna is up the road. They'll keep coming because that's the connection that we've built, and that's what I'm really proud of. Well, Anthony, it's an absolute honour to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear your story. Um, please keep in touch, and um, we'll catch up again soon. 
Thanks, Anthony. I really appreciate the time. I've enjoyed telling my story. Thank you very much. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.